0: I want to speak to you this morning about the resurrection of Christ, but we want to talk a little bit about a couple different passages. And um, you have an outline there in your bulletin. Some of you may remember reading and reciting... The Apostles' Creed, early in your uh, religious upbringing. And for those of you who may not know what the Apostles' Creed is or how it goes, I'm going to recite it for you here this morning. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried, and descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. That's the Apostles' Creed. Dr. Billy Graham once told Time Magazine the following quote. He said, If I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because it's the heart of Christianity. That is so true. I mean, you see so much going on about the death of Christ. There's a commentator on the Fox Network who has a new book out, Killing Jesus. And he's written this book to straight us, straighten us all out, all of us, as he refers to, Bible thumpers, on all the inconsistencies in Scripture. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly needs to come to the Lord, give up his false religion, and come to Christ. He doesn't know a thing about the Scriptures. Dr. Funk explains what happened to Jesus' body. If you don't know who uh, Dr. Funk is, he's a guy who was basically talking about the conspiracy and, and uh, here's how he explains what happened to Jesus' body after his crucifixion. He's the founder of the Jesus Seminar. Have you ever heard of that? The tales of entombment and resurrection were latter-day wishful thinking, he says. Instead, Jesus' corpse went the way of all abandoned criminal bodies. It was probably barely even covered with Dirt, vulnerable to wild dogs that roam the wasteland of the execution crowns. Even one of our presidents, Thomas Jefferson, wrote his own version of the life of Christ. And what Thomas Jefferson did was he removed all mention of anything supernatural, including the miracles of Christ, the virgin birth, and the resurrection. And this is how the Jefferson Bible ends. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed. <laughs> That's the way his version ends nothing supernatural no christ rising from the dead and there's a lot of even christians today that i hear them say things like well without a doubt jesus was raised from the dead but it it doesn't really matter to me whether he was physically raised from the dead or not i'm not going to argue that point It doesn't matter One writer put it this way, I think the resurrection of Jesus really happened, but I have no idea if it involves anything happening to his corpse. And therefore, I have no idea whether it involves an empty tomb. So I would have no problem whatsoever with archaeologists finding the corpse of Jesus for me. That would not be discrediting of the Christian faith or of the Christian tradition. Are you serious? (laughs) I mean, that raises a very profound question, beloved. What would happen if you picked up the San Jose Mercury News tomorrow morning and it said the body of Jesus, the corpse of Jesus, was found near Jerusalem? Would that affect your faith? Shouldn't, because they'd be lying. But what if they really did find Jesus' body? What if he really wasn't raised from the dead as we read in Scripture? What would be left of our Christian faith? Would it matter at all? Or would we just kind of go on in our religious Christianity as if nothing happened? Because I think for some that might happen that way. They would just go on and it wouldn't affect their Christian life at all. I'm here to tell you, If they literally found the body of Christ, everything we do, as far as Christianity goes, you can wash right down the toilet. All your religion, all your beliefs, all your prayers, all your hope, any hope of forgiveness of sin. The Apostles' Creed says there in that one line, it says, The third day he rose again from the dead. Doesn't say if, doesn't say but. He did it. Jesus Christ died on Friday. Nobody would dispute that in all of history. And on Sunday morning, he came back from the dead. Well, what does that mean to us? Turn over to the, the Gospel of Mark. And I just want to read Mark's account of this because we're so familiar with the account of the resurrection of Christ. And for time's sake, I like Mark because he's very brief. (laughs) Did you ever notice that? Everything in the Gospel of Mark is kind of truncated. Matthew goes on and on and on, and, and John, and... And Luke, but, but Mark is, you know, everything's immediately. He's definitely got my spirit as far as patience goes. He seemed like a very impatient person. He wanted everything done right away. If you go through and you track the word immediately through the, the gospel of Mark, it's, boy, everything's happening right away. And I just want to read this portion of Scripture and just make some comments as far as introduction goes, and then we're going to look over at, at 1 Corinthians 15. But it speaks here of the resurrection of Christ. It says, when the Sabbath was passed. Now, what is the Sabbath? What's the Jewish Sabbath? What day? Saturday, right? Now, in Jewish social circles and religious circles, everything was focused around the Sabbath. They didn't have Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday like we do. It was always... The first day, the second day, the third day after the Sabbath. That's how they numbered. They numbered their days according to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath ran from sundown to the following day. And so when you stop and you think here, it says when the Sabbath was passed, all right, this is clearly the Sabbath is over. Sunday morning, as we know it. Probably early in the morning. Some of the gospel writers say that it was still dark, and some don't. Some say as dawn was appearing. If you want a fun little thing to do, read all the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Christ, and you'll get the whole picture. But to me, a lot of people will look at that and say, Oh, they contradict one another. Like Mr. O'Reilly thinks that he has to straighten out the Word of God in his book, they don't contradict one another. They complement one another. It's just different individuals telling their story. That's a testament to the authenticity of the Word of God. Think how it would be if they all read exactly the same. It wouldn't take me long to sit back and say, I think these guys kind of just got together and made this story up. But when you read through the different gospel accounts, they all pretty much say the same thing with a different take. on the actual facts. It's kind of like if there was an accident down here on the corner of McGarvey and Roosevelt and we were all out there watching it and the police came to interview us, we'd all have a different take on the accident. Well, how fast was he going? Some would say, oh, he's going fast. I mean, well, he wasn't going that fast, but the other guy, he was zipping through that red light or stop sign. And, well, no, he didn't go through the stop. We'd all have a different take on it. Why? Because we all see different things. Our, all, our minds, our, our eyes focus on different things. And so the the distinctions between the Gospels doesn't say that, oh, they all contradict one another. No, it it complements the whole story. And isn't it interesting that one detail that all of the Gospels have included is that on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. But one thing you're not going to find in all the Gospels You're not going to find details of the resurrection, of the actual resurrection, the event. Because no one was there. Just like creation. No one was there. We couldn't conceive of how God spoke things into existence. Even if we were there and we saw it, we probably couldn't come up with words to describe it. And the same thing with the resurrection. Oh, there were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. I'm not saying that. Clearly there were. But nobody was sitting there watching him rise from the dead. God left that out. And I think he left it out because it's too glorious of a truth for us to even comprehend in our finite minds. So it says here, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Solomon, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They didn't think he was raised, even though he said it over and over and over and over again. I'm going to suffer at the hands of all the religious folks, they're going to hang me on a cross, I'm going to be executed. But on the third day I'll rise. He said that multiple times to his followers over and over again, but they didn't didn't get it. They couldn't comprehend that. And so here are these dear ladies who were close to Christ. They followed his ministry. Another little tidbit that's kind of interesting is that the only people that ever minister to Jesus are angels And women, even his own apostles, his own disciples, it never says that they ministered to Christ. Isn't it interesting that women were the first to see the resurrected Lord? They saw him die on that Friday before the Sabbath. The other accounts of the Gospels tell us that they were there. They saw what happened. They saw the Romans punching and brutalizing his body, nailing him to that cross, hanging him there. And then eventually they saw when the body was taken down. Joseph of Arimathea took it and put it in the tomb. They saw all that. So they knew where to go. And they were simply coming to anoint The body with spices, which is one of their traditions. They would come and they'd anoint it, and they had to do it before the fourth day because the fourth day it would just be not good. (laughs) It'd be too late. Spices wouldn't help by that point. So they came to anoint, go and anoint the spices or the body with spices. And it says, verse 2, and early on the first day of the week. When is that? The first day is always. The first day after the Sabbath, which is our Sunday. When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. See, beloved, that's why our church meets on Sunday morning. There's A a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter what day you meet. You can meet, you know, Wednesday, whatever. I think it does matter. I think it matters because that's the day the Lord Jesus Christ was risen. That's the day the New Testament church met. We don't practice Sabbath anymore. This was the last Sabbath in history, legitimately. It was actually even the last Passover, legitimately. Christ is our Passover. It's the new covenant. He ushered in all that. So many times, even Messianic Jews get caught up in the whole Passover thing. I understand it's important to understand the tradition and and all that, but there's nothing in the Passover for us. Christ is our Passover. It's over. It's done. It's just like we don't, you know, think that Saturday, the Sabbath, is a special day. Why? Because Christ put an end to that when he rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, it says in verse 3, and they were saying to one another... Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Couldn't you just see these, these women who've gone through this horrible experience? I mean, they were close to Christ, probably maybe even closer than his own disciples in a lot of ways. I think they understood that he was to be the Savior. And here on that Friday, they watched him die, they watched him be buried. And all of Saturday, they were probably just grieving. What happened? What went wrong? And they're on their way to the tomb with these spices in hand. And they're probably trying to comfort one another. Maybe almost as a diversion from their grief How are we going to get in? I mean, the stone that they, they, we saw them put in front of Jesus' tomb was enormous. How are we going to get into the, the tomb? We didn't think of that. Who's going to roll away the stone? And just about that time, it says, they arrive at the garden tomb there. Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. Wow. Can you imagine? When I go back east, I always make it a tradition to go over to our family burial plot. And my wife asked me one time, why do you do this? I don't know. Pay respect? I don't know. I understand it's just a dead body in the the grave there. That's not where my loved one is. But can you imagine if I went over there Pulled up to the plot. Someone had taken a shovel and dug up the coffin. I mean, that would be a little weird. Like, what's going on here? And you look in the hole and there's nothing there. And the coffin's open. No bones, no nothing. That would be a little freaky. That would be a little hard to digest. It says that it was very large, it rolled back, the stone was rolled back because it was very very large. In verse 5, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, which is an angel, we know from the other accounts, sitting on the right side, dressed in a brilliant white robe. It says they were alarmed. Yeah, you think? I mean, first of all, the the stone is moved away. They go to go into the, 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 the tomb there. And they saw a young man, an angel, supernatural being, on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And then he spoke to them. Verse 6 Do not be alarmed. It's funny how when angels speak in the Bible, they can always be understood. They always speak in the language of their hearers. And by the way, they're always men, there are no female angels. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen? (laughs) Wait a minute. What do you mean he is risen? You mean he's not here where they put him? He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And they're looking and they see the burial garments there. Other accounts tell us even how they were folded and all sorts of things. It also tells us that one of the Marys didn't even go in. She ran right away to tell the disciples. That's what the other gospel accounts tell us. And her idea was somebody stole the body. (laughs) Somebody stole the body. Verse 7, it says, But go and tell his disciples, and then look at what the Lord in his grace and his mercy does. And who? And Peter. (laughs) Don't forget him. I mean, this poor guy had been just having a tough time. Last couple days, thinks he's defending the Lord in the garden. Cuts off one of the soldiers' ears, and Christ has to rebuke him. Before that is rebuked, get thee behind me, Satan! When he tries to tell Jesus he's not going to go to the cross, denied Christ. Go tell his disciples, and don't forget to tell Peter. (laughs) because he's going to need to hear this, that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. See, and we're not going to go into this, but in other Gospels, and, and previously even in the book of Gospel of Mark, Jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And I'm going to be with you in Galilee. I'll, you'll see me in Galilee. He told them, go to Galilee after all this happens. Did they go to Galilee? No. They didn't go to Galilee. It took them eight days to go to Galilee. They didn't listen. She says there, the the angel said, there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out, it says, and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment Had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I'd be a little uh, afraid too at that point. Think of the emotions that are going through their hearts. Think of the emotions that are going through everything that, that these poor women had seen. In Matthew's account in in chapter 28, I just want to read this because Mark is kind of giving a truncated report here. And by the way, that's where the Gospel of Mark ends. It ends right there. You say, well, I got some other verses there. Well, if you read the text, they weren't in the original, the older manuscripts. From nine on, it should be in brackets. So the Gospel of Mark just kind of just drops it right there. Hey, he rose and boom, that's it. But I like this little caveat that Matthew puts to the end here in in chapter 28, verse 8. It says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with great, or with fear and what? Great joy. Mark left that out. You think they're just going away going, Man, this is weird. What's happening here? Almost as if they were, you know, just... Struck with fear. And they were. But you know what? It's kind of like after. Have you ever been in a traumatic situation? Maybe it's even a good situation. And you're just shocked at the outcome of something. And it's almost fearful. It just grips you. And then after a while you begin to realize. Wow. This is actually a good thing. And the joy begins to set in. Well that's what happened here. With these women. First, they were just trembling in their boots as they made their way to the disciples. Then all of a sudden, everything began to settle in. And it says, great joy filled their hearts. You know, that's one thing about the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there would be no way that we would be here today. There would be no way that the Christian faith would have ever survived at all. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because this is kind of where we're going to spend the rest of our, our time. First Corinthians chapter 15. Because this tells us what does this resurrection mean. When they say that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, what does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus truly died on Friday afternoon. And we know that from the gospel accounts on the third day on Sunday morning, he personally, bodily, physically, actually, literally rose from the dead. Never to die again. See, his resurrection was special in the fact that other people have been raised from the dead at this point, right? Jesus raised a couple people from the dead. But they were going to have to die again. Not so here. He rose personally. It was Jesus himself. It wasn't some substitute. He also rose bodily, meaning that it was his crucified body that was raised from the dead. And he rose physically, beloved. He physically rose from the dead. It wasn't his ghost. It wasn't his spirit. It wasn't some figment of their imagination. To say that he rose, what we mean and what the authors intended in the New Testament to say is that he actually literally rose from the dead, physically, bodily, in every way. The word resurrection means to be raised immortal, incorruptible, never to die again. and here Jesus having once experienced death the bible says and having triumphant over it triumphed over it he would never ever have to die again he was raised immortal alive from the dead see that's the neat thing about our savior he still lives today amen he's still alive today he rules and reigns in our hearts as his followers See, that's what we mean when we say that on the third day he rose from the dead. It wasn't some figment of somebody's imagination. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Well, what is that, Paul? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive at the time of this writing. Though some have died, some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, Paul says... He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Here is someone who was so affected by the resurrection of Christ that before Christ came into his life, he was out there killing, murdering Christians. As part of his, what he thought, his religious duty as a Pharisee, to squash out this Christian faith. And God personally allowed Christ to come back and make a personal appearance to him. On the road to Damascus, we read of that story where he was struck blind and, and the risen Lord appeared to him. That's why it's important to understand that there are no apostles today as far as the office of apostle goes Paul was basically the last one. Verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. He's not making it a personal issue here. He's saying God just chose to lavish His grace upon me. I didn't deserve it. I was actually killing Christians before I was a Christian. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, look at the consequences, then not even Christ has been raised. See, there was some teaching going around in the early religious days of the church saying, oh, there's no such thing as resurrection. What are you talking about? The Sadducees were one of the groups that purported such a teaching they didn't believe in the resurrection and if christ had not been raised verse 14 then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain why does it matter let me tell you first of all it matters because that's what the bible teaches the resurrection of jesus christ is a real theological teaching that occurs in the pages of scripture there's no confusion on that point everything in the gospel records, everything in the book of Acts, everything in the epistles is in perfect harmony with the simple point. Jesus died and then he rose on the third day. It's what the Bible teaches. Secondly, this is what really happened. If you'd been there on Sunday morning, you would have seen the empty tomb. This isn't a story made up by a bunch of people. If you had been with the disciples... You would have seen Jesus alive from the dead. Like Thomas, you could have taken your fingers and put them into the wounds in his side. It's what really happened. And this is what the church has always believed. This isn't some newfounded truth. The resurrection of Christ has always been a fundamental truth of Christian doctrine. It's one. Part of that tiny handful of things that's always been believed by all Christians everywhere. And it's what unites Christian denominations big and small together around that truth. I'd be as bold to say as if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Then you're not a Christian. Period. Period. You've placed yourself outside the boundaries of orthodox Christianity. If you don't truly believe it, you're not a Christian at all. Fourthly, this is the church's message. If you read through the book of Acts over and over and over, study the sermons of of Peter and Paul. The climax was not that Jesus was crucified... That's not the climax of the story. I mean, that's part of the story. And that's what breaks your heart when you see so much emphasis on the death of our Lord and Savior. And yet they leave out the most important part. The very fact that He is risen from the dead. Victorious over sin and death. See, that's the message that turned the world upside down. Not the fact that Jesus died on a cross. There were thousands of people that died on a cross. They weren't perfect like Christ, but they died. Nothing like this has ever happened before, beloved. See, we don't worship a dead Jesus. That's why on our cross there's no crucifix. There's no Christ hanging on the cross as there is in some churches. I think that's blasphemous to the gospel message. We don't serve a dead Christ. We serve a risen Lord. Amen? The Son of God has come back from the dead. Scripture says that Jesus Jesus was crucified once for all. And our cross is empty to remind us that though He died... He did not stay dead. Well, what if it didn't happen? See, in the early church, some of the believers were confused whether their loved ones who died and were buried, what about them? Eventually, this this belief spread that Christians who had died would not be raised from the dead. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 15. And he reminds his readers that the resurrection of believers depends on whether or not Jesus himself was risen from the dead. I mean, when we stand at the graveside of a loved one, it's very easy to become overwhelmed with the power of death, it's an awful power. not unusual to wonder are we ever going to see this person again no one that I know has ever come back from the dead legitimately some people well maybe there's no resurrection after all See, Paul does not rebuke the Corinthians for their fears and their doubts. He's not rebuking them for that. Nor does he try to prove the resurrection of the dead in some detailed argument. He doesn't go into that if you read through the text. He points to these these errant believers back to the empty tomb. And he says, remember that God raised his son. Everything hinges on that. That's the emphasis here of 1 Corinthians 15. And then for a few verses here, he says, well, what if Christ had not been risen from the dead? Well, first of all, he says in verse 17, our faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. And you are still in your sins. When Billy Graham was just beginning to rise in popularity as a preacher in the 1940s there was another young evangelist who became well known at the same time and many people thought that he was even better than billy graham his name was charles templeton and he and billy graham spoke together at a youth for christ uh, rallies all all across this nation great britain and charles templeton was he was very gifted preacher he was brilliant he was articulate he was polished And he was a very powerful preacher of the gospel of Christ. In the years following World War II, Templeton and Graham began to move in different directions. Templeton became enamored with all the liberal theology that began to rise up. And he began to question many aspects of the Christian faith. And at one point he told Billy Graham to get his nose out of the Bible or else he'd never be able to connect to the people of the world. Templeton attended a very liberal seminary. He pastored in Canada for a couple years, and eventually he grew up in his... He gave up his Christian faith altogether. Later he became the host of a late-night talk show that made him basically the Johnny Carson of Canada. In his later years... He attacked the evangelical faith that he once preached. At one point, he published a novel called Act of God that was built on the premise that the bones of Jesus had been discovered in the Holy Land, but the Catholic Church covered up the story because they knew it would destroy Christianity. Toward the end of his life, he died, clearly. (laughs) Templeton was interviewed by Lee Strobel before he met his fate. And you can find that interview in The Case of Faith. And the book makes clear that despite some regret, he never gave up his skeptical unbelief. See, he understood exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying. Templeton did. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then the Christian faith collapses like a deck of cards. Our faith is futile. And then it says there in verse 17 that we're still in our sin. Heard a guy pray one time, Lord Jesus, if you didn't rise from the dead, at least we know our sins are forgiven. No, they're not. (laughs) Sorry. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you still owe a big debt of sin. That's the exact opposite of what Paul says. There is no forgiveness if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, and we are eternally lost if Christ is still in the tomb. That's why our our Christian faith hinges on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Thirdly, we'll never see our loved ones again if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. Verse 18 said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Christ hadn't risen from the dead. They're not going to be raised from the dead. And you know what? Death has won its final victory if Christ did not rise. And then verse 19, I like what Paul says. And if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christ hadn't risen from the dead, man. We Just have pity on us because that's all we got. I hear some people saying, even when they're sharing Christ in evangelism, well, even if Christianity isn't true, it's still the best way to live. No, it's not. That's ridiculous. I mean, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and Christianity isn't true, <laughs> let's give all this stuff up. Let's give up all our, quote, religion, and go jump in the world with everything it has to offer. Because it doesn't matter. Makes no difference whatsoever at that point. Why would anyone want to believe in a Christian faith where its leader, its founder, Christ, the very foundation of the faith, is a liar? said he was going to raise on the third day. If he didn't do it, well, that makes him a liar. Makes him a scam artist is what it makes him. Jesus didn't rise on the third day, then the hallelujah chorus is just another piece of music. It <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Nice to listen to, but it's not based on any truth. If Jesus did not rise, then our prayers are empty. Our preaching is in vain. Our missionary work is useless. The church itself is in danger because it stands for something that's not even true. If Jesus is still in the grave, then we're just talking nonsense. It'd be better to go talk about Easter bunnies and chocolate eggs. I mean, that's what Paul is saying here. It all hangs on that little word if. If Jesus did not rise from the dead. But what if he did? What if he did? What if he really is who he said he was? What if on the third day he really did rise from the dead? And when they really went to that tomb, that the stone was removed and there was no body there. And then he really did show himself to over 500 people and the apostles and the disciples and the women. What if all that is true? What difference does it make? Well, Paul states the negative and then he positively asserts this positive truth in verse 20. But, he says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, what does that mean? What difference does it make? Just reverse the order. Our faith has meaning then, beloved. Beloved. We do have forgiveness of our sin through Christ. We will see our loved ones who died in Christ one day. And we can definitely be certain about our own future because the the word of God clearly is true. There's hope for the hopeless. That light shines from heaven in the midst of the dark corners of the world. And now we can say to anyone, if you come to Christ, if you commit your life to Christ, if you humble yourself, admit your sin, and your wickedness and come humbly before a holy God and claim the work of Christ on Calvary as your own, hold on to it. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. He will not turn you away. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Look at the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was a guy that went out and and murdered Christians. In religion's religious name. In his own religion's name. That's why he did it. Thought he was doing the right thing, squashing out this Christian faith. And yet Christ saved even someone like that. No one is ever beyond the reach of God's grace. Whatever your sin might be, no matter where you've been or what you've done, I'm here to tell you, beloved, that the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive you. He can wash you clean in one great moment of transformation, as only He can do. And heaven now can become as real as death, which in Christ has lost its victory. See, we still die as Christians but you know what? We don't stay dead. And there's good news. Because Jesus has come back from the dead. You might be here this morning and say, well, don't you ever doubt this stuff? Don't you ever wonder if this is really true? You know, I, I don't talk about it much. But I'll be open and frank. I doubt every day. (laughs) I doubt things every day. I don't know how a person could be a Christian and not have doubts from time to time. See, if we don't have doubts, then what does our faith mean? Faith requires doubt in order to be faith. See, if you ever arrive at a place where all your doubts are gone... I think that place is called heaven. (laughs) We're not there yet. Right? On earth, doubts abound in your heart as in mine. Some people feel guilty about doubting. I thank God for my doubts because it keeps me dependent on Him. Been in ministry for several years, done several memorials and funerals for loved ones in the church, loved ones in my family. And I'm here to tell you it never gets easier. It never gets easier. I mean, I'm the kind of person that emotionally I can hold it together, usually, get through it, but you don't see what's going on inside. I think the hardest part of that whole process of doing a funeral service for somebody, frankly, it's not the church service, it's not that. It's when you're out there at the graveside with the family and you're walking away from a body that is in the ground it's cold it's dead it's not coming back there's, there's a finality there that just weighs heavy on your soul now I understand the truth that hey be absent from the bodies be present with the Lord I get that and I, I, I believe that simply by faith. But when I see someone being buried in the ground realizing that, you know what, this is going to happen to all of us pending the Lord's return. I'm so glad that the resurrection doesn't depend on my words (laughs) because my words have no power whatsoever to raise the dead. Matter of fact, I can faithfully say everyone that I've buried is still in their grave. They're still there. Still waiting for that first resurrection. Well, where do we find hope then in the face of death? Where do we find it? We find it in the risen Lord. We find it in a God who's intimate with his creation. He's not a God who's off somewhere created us and let us go. No, the Bible says that he, he desires to know you. And for you to know Him, more importantly, He already knows you. He knows everything about you. The color of your eyes, the color of your hair, how many hairs you have on your head. He knows everything about We serve an all-knowing God. But He wants you to know Him, not just in a, yeah, I know God exists way, in a personal way. And that's why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for payment for our sin. Because he cares. He loves you. He doesn't want you to go into an eternity where you'll be faced with the judgment of God in a place called hell that really does exist. Hell is not a place where you go to party with your friends, beloved. Hell is a place where you are you come under the the holy, righteous judgment and wrath of God forevermore for your sin because you weren't willing to take his offer of grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that 's the one truth that keeps those doubts. At bay. Our faith rests on what happened in that garden tomb. In Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. If Jesus rose from the dead. Then we're on the winning side, right? Death has no. <clears throat> has had a field day for a long time in this world. Lots of people go to cemeteries and no one ever comes out. No one except Christ. Christ. I pray that you will find hope in the risen Savior. You can go to all the tombs of the founders of the great world religions. Mohammed. If you go to his grave, here, Buddha, here, Confucius, here, Moses, here, Jesus Christ. No answer. He's not there. He's not in the grave. The tomb is empty. He is risen just as he said. And that's why in the early church, that's how they used to greet one another in their services. They would say, He is risen. And the response is, He is risen indeed. Let's try that. He is risen amen and we can stake our lives upon it let's close in a word of prayer Father we thank you Lord that we don't have to doubt but we do we doubt the truth of your word almost daily in different ways in which we live we doubt your power we doubt your forgiveness And Lord, we thank you for your grace and you understand that doubt because you were here, you walked in our shoes, you took on the body of a man, and you came to a point where you were willing to die for the sins of the world. It's my sin, that's your sin. See, the doubt is not sin, but at some point you have to get off the fence. At some point, you've got to stop your doubting and start believing. Because either you believe or you don't. There's no middle ground here. And this resurrection Sunday morning, it's a wonderful day to come down on one side or the other of that fence. It's a great day to stop doubting and start believing. Start believing the truth of God. You know that Jesus died. I mean, it doesn't take a historical genius to figure that one out. There's no doubt about it. You know that he died for you simply because we explained that to you this morning. You know that he rose from the dead. The question God is asking is very simple. What are you going to do with my son? What are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Go all in. It's worth it. Because on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Father, we pray that if there's any here this morning who have yet to put their faith, their trust, if any who have yet to hear the call of God of salvation upon their hearts, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would bow their, their knee to you they would give up control of their own life, realizing that you're the God who created them. You're the God who knows everything about them. And if that be true, why not yield control to you? It doesn't make sense to try to control something we can't control. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to those souls. That, Lord, that you would grant them repentance. That you would cause them to call on the name of Of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for their salvation. Father, even if they have doubts, I pray that they would put the doubts aside, set the doubts on on the shelf for just a couple moments. And if you're truly who you say you are, I pray that you would radically transform them and save them from their sin, and that they would know without a doubt that Jesus has risen from the dead. For us believers, Lord, I pray that we would be built up, edified by these words, Lord, that we'd be encouraged as we go out into this dark and dying, lost world, that we have the word of truth, the word of power, the word of hope, the word of forgiveness to offer people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, Father, you would be gracious to many souls here, even in Redwood City, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would cause them to repent of their sin and turn to you. Father, cause them to cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me the error of my ways. Show me that you are the truth. Lord, help me to put my faith and trust in you. Help my unbelief. That's a prayer God will answer. And we thank you and we praise you Father, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.